Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our toxic phase one and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Tim Chan, chair of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Immunotherapy and Precision Immuno-Oncology. Dr. Chan was previously a guest on this podcast to discuss cancer genomic testing and to discuss immunotherapy and precision immuno-oncology. He's here today to discuss the Radiation Oncology Biology Integration Network. So welcome back, Tim. Thanks so much, Dale. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Just give us a, a really broad view. What exactly you do here at the Cleveland Clinic as a, as a backdrop? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm the chair of the uh, Center for Immunotherapy and Precision Immuno-Oncology. Uh, I'm a physician scientist, and here I'm responsible for setting up translational efforts that span uh, the bench uh, to early phase clinical trials uh, with the Cancer Center to boost the number of innovative treatments going into patients and making sure uh, that we have the capability and the resources to be able to learn as much as we can from our patients uh, on these trials. And lastly, to develop uh, new, more effective combinations and targets for uh, therapies for cancer. Excellent. So today we're going to be talking about the Radiation Oncology Biology Integration Network, and this is referred to as ROBIN. Give us a little idea. What what exactly is this? Yeah, I'm happy to, Dale. Uh, So ROBIN is a new network of centers that is set up now uh, by the NIH. And what the NIH usually does is it utilizes this U54 mechanism. Sometimes other uh, efforts are using spores, for instance. But these types of multi-site networks are used by federal funding agencies like the NIH to put together a set of centers in institutions in different parts of the country uh, that can push forward an area of need, right? And that's what Robin is. It's it's the newest of the NIH uh, centers. It's funded under the U54 mechanism. So we, we were funded by U54. As a comparison, uh, for instance, when COVID hit, NIH did the same thing, right? There's a U54 for COVID research as well. Now, for Robin, the concentration is on multimodality therapies. Now, what does that mean? It means that most of the cancers uh, these days are treated, um, as you know, Dale, by many different types of therapies. You have surgery, you have radiation, you have systemic therapies, which you're very active in. And it's the combination of these therapies that can result in uh, cures, especially in the setting of uh, what's called locally advanced uh, settings. And so, even though this has been standard of care and it's an ongoing sort of program of improving standards of care as we you know, go into the future, it's used a lot, but not very much is understood. Uh, the last generation of um, science and trials done with chemotherapy, radiation, and also chemotherapy and targeted therapies together with or without radiation was done in the setting of these large trials uh, run by things like the RTOG, you know, these big consortium groups. And science has really not been the forte. Sometimes the samples are um, obtained. Sometimes people look into this, but most of the time they read out and then then, um, that's it. There's no more learning. 
Fast forward to now, where we know that biology is very, very important in terms of determining what subset of patients respond. Well, NIH and the, and the federal government has gotten smarter. They've set up the Robin Network to really systematically give us the resources and the network to be able to answer the question in the setting of multimodality therapies, why certain therapies work. And to do this by collecting samples and really basically, um, quote, quote, sciencing the heck out of it, right? And allowing us to understand what drives uh, efficacy. And we, when we talk about this network of, of institutions, uh, give us an idea of who's going to be involved. So um, last year, um, there was an RFA that went out um, and over 50 groups applied. And our team here uh, won out, actually, as one of the three centers that were funded. Um, so our center consists of Cleveland Clinic and Emory University, Emory School of Medicine. Uh, we're the lead institution, and they're the partnering institution. Um, the other two institutions are the University of Maryland and Jefferson, and then the, the triad of University of Chicago, uh, Cornell, and Memorial Sloan Kettering. They kicked it off with these three, and there's another two that are being funded this year to expand the total network uh, to five. Excellent. So let, let's talk a little bit about the, the practical aspects here, because I like the, the thought that we're trying to learn more about patients and using samples we collect in a meaningful way, because certainly a, a frustration on early clinical trials is we collect data, like you say, and we collect a lot of biopsies, and we're not really sometimes sure what happens with that. So how are we going to collect samples and turn that into useful information to treat patients? Oh, that's a great question. So um, inherent within each one of these um, centers are molecular characterization trials. Um, that is the centerpiece of all of these. Each center has a molecular characterization trial, which I can talk about in a little bit. But the purpose of these trials is testing a new promising therapeutic and comparing this to what the standard of care does and how the new therapeutic uh, expands. And the design is to be very data dense. That is, we throw the full gamut of genetic analysis, like genome sequencing, as well as circulating tumor DNAs, metabolic analysis, imaging analysis, right? So, so uh, functional and CT and MRI imaging, all on the same data sets. So we can put together atlases of uh, defining what's important and not that drives response and resistance. And so when, uh, do we have any proposed uh, targets at this point that we think are going to be more important than others, or, or is it still too early to know? Well, um, we do have two uh, trials that were funded as part of the Cleveland Clinic uh, Robin Center, and the two are basically one in bladder cancer and one in head and neck cancer. The one in bladder cancer, uh, the, the PIs um, are uh, Shilpa Gupta and Omar Mian, both in the Towson Cancer Center. And the trial basically is to look at uh, bladder preservation for patients with locally advanced bladder cancer, and they're treated with radiation and an antibody drug conjugate called salzitizumab. And salzitizumab has recently been approved for metastatic breast cancer, and it's on its way of being utilized in bladder cancer as well. This is a drug um, that has an antibody, it's an immunotherapy, that targets something called trope 2, which is a target, and it has a chemotherapy attached to it, irinotecan. And the idea is that, you know, salzitizumab can bring the chemotherapy and also potential immune modulation aspects, because the antibody is also an immunotherapy, to the bladder cancer. 
and then treat that with standard of care radiation as well. And we're hopeful that more people will be able to keep their bladders, right, uh, in bladder preservation therapy with this new combination therapy. At least in uh, the clinic right now, it looks like chemotherapy and salzitizumab together uh, can be quite synergistic. So we have great hopes uh, for this. The second trial is something we are doing in combination with Emory University. And the trial leaders here are Nabil Saba, who is a medical oncologist at Emory, and our own Ashloma Koifman, who's a radiation oncologist here. They're both head and neck experts. And that trial is to look at recurrent head and neck cancer and what happens when you add nivolumab in the adjuvant setting or afterwards to treatment for recurrent head and neck cancer. That trial actually is already completed. Right, So some of these trials are already well underway, and it's met its primary endpoint, meaning that it is effective. And as part of Robin, we'll be looking at what nivolumab does to make it better, to make the tumor environment better. And as part of that, we'll be collecting standard of care patients and then comparing that data to samples from patients treated with nivolumab. We'll be able to understand exactly what nivolumab is doing. And nivolumab is one of the immune checkpoint blockade agents, um, I might just say, that has been revolutionizing uh, the treatment of a lot of solid cancers. And so when we look at these interactions of the antibody drug conjugates, the immunotherapies, um, is, is the thought that if we collect enough information and we learn enough about patients that we might know which patients are better for which of the two therapies, that we can change the amount of radiation delivered? What What is the ultimate goal? I think you summed it up, uh, the question, extremely well. I, I think that what our goals are basically are uh, several fold, right? Um, a, um, we are testing novel combinations, and these are phase ones and phase two, so they're early phase, but we want to find a signal to see potentially if there's some efficacy, right, and, and if they're safe. And then if it meets these endpoints, then we want, obviously, in the best case scenario, to move these forward to a later phase trial to really quantitate that benefit. Secondly, we want to use the science uh, to understand um, who is going to benefit. So there might be some people who will benefit from radiation and chemotherapy or radiation alone or ADCC uh, or ADC alone. And uh, we want to identify patients that eventually we can sort of provide some information upfront before treatment starts of how well patients may may do. This has been slower these days. Up, you know, predictive biomarkers um, have become you know more and more used in the clinic now, of course, especially with these pan-cancer or cross-cancer approvals. But I think a lot of work needs to be done. And thirdly, uh, perhaps most importantly, is you know, as as we know, cancer therapies now work in some people and not others, right? How are we going to improve upon what to do? Well, it's to really understand what causes resistance both up front, right, up front, and also after therapy, when this comes back, acquired resistance. Why do we want to understand that? Because understanding the targets that are responsible there will generate the ideas and design of the next generation trials, right? That's the only way we're going to push uh, forward for uh, new therapies that may improve our current standard of care. And I guess if we learn enough about the patient tumor, um, and those treatment, uh, those treatments that might be effective, are we going to get to a situation where right now we're talking about a bladder cancer trial and we're talking about a head and neck trial? And, and as we have genomic therapies that are more tumor type agnostic, 
Is it maybe going to be a situation where we're treating tumor characteristics instead of geography? Absolutely. And, and you know, Dale, I think that has already uh, started, right? I mean, some of my earlier work was um, showing that mismatch repair and tumor mutation burden can tell you about whether a patient or a tumor will respond independent of whether um, the disease site is in question. So MSI, for instance, and TMB are approved across different cancer sites. The goal of, of course, there's many of these now, including NTRAC and other things that are on the horizon, like FGF uh, receptor inhibitors and ret, ret fusion inhibitors, right? So absolutely, I do think that moving forward, um, we are going to have a library of different indications that we're going to have to check. Now, do I think that this is going to be able to be used alone? In some cases, yes. In a lot of cases, no. I think it's still an integrative decision we have to make. An example is basically BRAF inhibitors. Works great in melanoma. Works great in some types of uh, you know lymphomas, right? Um, but uh, doesn't work in colon cancer, right? So. There are going to be individual exceptions to these pan-cancer approvals that we're talking about, and we're just going to have to better understand them. Every tumor is different, right? Every tumor is different between that different people have, but also the immune systems may be different in different tumors. So that you know, immunotherapies may work in one setting, but hey, you know, the the, the mechanisms for immunosuppression may be different. So the drugs may be different, right? And so our goal is to figure out why. But I will say that for the most part, it is promising. We're sort of in the exciting age of these pan-cancer approvals right now, which I think um, is really a step forward. And I guess sort of along that line, are there um, are there particular tumor types that you think are going to be more difficult to, to tackle with this approach? I do. Um, well, you know, one of the cancers that I treated at my own clinic is brain cancer, uh, gliomas, and that's been resistant to almost everything under the sun, unfortunately. I would love to see nothing better than to be able to boost the number of patients that I can help long term. Uh, and so those are going to be pretty difficult. Um, and also, you remember, uh, you know, for patients uh, that we treat with certain types of tumors um, that do respond, well, sometimes resistance can happen, right? And, you know, that is not uncommon, like in uh, melanoma and renal cell carcinoma. And then there are other ones that are just resistant upfront, like sarcomas, like ones that you treat, um, that can be very recalcitrant towards, uh, you know, the current generation of immunotherapies. So again, you know, we have a lot of work to do. I gotta tell you that, you know, for most cancers, you know, we are not curing more than, you know, not nearly 50% of our patients, of advanced patients, right? So even despite the fact that response rates are much, much higher uh, and outcomes are much better, you know, there's still a lot more to do and before we can actually, you know, say that we're curing most patients. When you talk about things like resistance and, um, and things that certainly metastatic disease, there's more heterogeneity and are, are you focusing more on neoadjuvant or adjuvant settings up front? Or are you sort of tackling metastatic as well? Well, the yeah, that's a great question. The bladder cancer trial um, is a um, is a definitive trial, so it's so it's um, somewhat neoadjuvant. Uh, it's not really, but it's it's treatment for the goal of cure. Of course, if it fails, these patients will then be converted to cystectomy, um, and it becomes really your neoadjuvant therapy. For the head and neck cancer, it's in the recurrent setting in its adjuvant nivolumab. Uh, so we have a little bit of both. 
Um, but, you know, I will say that, you know, the important thing is we are very excited to work with the clinicians in Towson Cancer Center, largely because, you know, with the arrival of um, Alex Ajay, there's a wholesale expansion of novel therapeutics now. And we're excited to set up some of these translational efforts and pipelines so that we can broaden this across all the phase one trials. And, and because, you know, if there's anything about phase one is, is, is besides pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics, it's really just to learn mechanism, right? That's what's clearly important now. And so hopefully we can use this as a launching pad uh, for all the exciting trials that you and others uh, are undoubtedly gonna gonna uh, run uh, as we move forward this year. Yeah, sounds like great opportunities. What do you think will be the biggest barrier to success? Um, the biggest barriers to success. Well, um, I think um, when setting up a new uh, center and network, there's always growing pains. Um, there's not been anything really like this for combination therapies before. So we are dealing with some of it, such as data deposition and data sharing. Um, this is going to be sponsored by the NCIs to make sure that the data is deposited. Um, also, you know, uh, in the past, you'll remember that, you know, different networks tend to attract people of the same types of investigation here. By nature, if you're having a multimodality team, you need people from different disciplines. Now, the Robin Network has built in support for something called cross-training, um, and there's a cross-training core that's part of every single um, center that's funded with the specific hope that you get people together to learn about best practices in uh, across different disciplines. So, for instance, here, Omar Mian is the head of this, will be an opportunity for surgeons medical oncologists, radiation oncologists, pathologists, and medical physicists actually to come together to sort of uh, go over best practices and present uh, new research as part of the uh, cross-training program. So that, I think, was very prescient of NIH to think about this and build this into the RFA. It is one of the big challenges, right? Speaking across lines of disciplines, but we're hoping that the cross-training core can help address that challenge. That's fantastic. What, what do you see are the, the, the biggest gaps that remain? Well, I, I, I think one of the major gaps right now, I, 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 and again, there's many gaps that we need to learn about, but one of the major gaps is basically what happens during therapy, right? So um, a lot of times what happens is an amazing amount of biology that can happen when we treat somebody with either radiation or chemotherapy or targeted therapies. And taking advantage of all that information. It's very, very difficult right now on clinical trials to do on-treatment sampling, right? And so that's something that we are really trying to focus in on. There are on-treatment you know, biopsies as well as circulating tumor DNA collected throughout the course of therapy for these uh, molecular characterization trials. And the goal there is to tackle that problem that you talked about, is the understanding what the dynamic changes are. Very frequently, it has become clear that resistance, innate resistance, upfront resistance to a drug happens very quickly. You will know that if a patient upfront is resistant or not, even after the first cycle of a therapy, right? This is something that we worked on before. You don't have to wait three months, four months for a CT scan to show you something. And often, as in the case with uh, immunotherapy for solid tumors like lung cancer, CT and imaging response isn't even really reflective of what will happen down the road. So figuring this out, I think, will be a step forward. It is a major problem. 
It's a huge problem for diseases like brain cancers where you can't get any tissue, even if you wanted to, right? Very difficult to do on treatment biopsies in the brain, pretty much not done. So a lot of uh, opportunity in the setting and certainly a challenge. Well, really important questions, and it looks like you have a mechanism to come up with some important answers. So thanks for being with us. Well, thanks. Thanks. And, um, and, and of course, uh, Dale, thank you so much for everything you're doing with phase one. I think, you know, uh, pushing the envelope here at Cleveland Clinic and Taussig is what we like to do for patients. This is how we, you know, move the needle towards better and better outcomes. So I'm really delighted to uh, get together and chat about these efforts with you today. To make a direct online referral to our Taussig Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.